right, good morning Bethel, how's everyone? Good, good. Well, I am excited to start this new series this morning. Well, how many would acknowledge that sometimes men can do some things that can be quite stupid? Come on. All right. I'll admit, I did one yesterday. I am no handyman. I do not proclaim to be a handyman by any stretch of the imagination, but I had a famous last word yesterday, and that was, I'll fix that. Let me just say, long story short, my wife is now without a kitchen sink. Yeah, that's, that's my, my famous last words from yesterday. Uh, you know, maybe you have, uh, men out there have said some of the stupid things like this. Maybe it's something like, I've never tried this with a chainsaw before. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. Or maybe it's this one. This guy, I don't think is any longer, I don't think he's living any longer, but he asked a woman, so how long have you been pregnant? And of course she wasn't. Yeah, that's, that's not a good one. Uh, maybe you have uh, said that I don't think that this marriage lasted much longer, but honey, you don't look good in those jeans. Yeah, that's, those are some famous last words right there. Or this is probably the, the most famous one is, hey, 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 watch this. And then, yeah. Yeah, not good, not good. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks, in all seriousness, we're going to look at the, the famous last words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He uttered some words from the cross that were his last words before he entered the tomb. And we are going to dive into those famous last words of our dying Savior. You know, as he was suffering on the cross, he uttered, seven phrases that should be the most famous words, last words in all of the world. And today we're going to look at the, the first one, and we'll be in Luke chapter 23 this morning. And the context is that Jesus is on the cross at this point in the story. He is hanging there on the cross, and we pick up in verse 32 of Luke chapter 23. It said, Two others, who are criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now before we get to the words that Jesus is going to utter from the cross, let me just kind of pause for a moment and let's review what led Jesus up to this point. If you remember, the Bible clearly says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would inherit eternal life. And what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus came to this earth, he lived the perfect sinless life, and he completely fulfilled the will of God for his life. And when you study his, the stories in the Gospels about Jesus' life, they are truly remarkable. They are some of the most remarkable stories in all of literature. He never committed a sin. He never did anything wrong. He loved with an unconditional love. He loved the ones that society rejected. And he came with this revolutionary, against-the-grain message that that just confounded people. They could not understand and grasp it. Even though he did everything just right, living to fulfill the will of God, 
he was betrayed by his own. He was taken before a mock trial, and even though he had done nothing wrong, and, and even Pilate acknowledged that fact when he made the statement, I find no fault with this man, the Roman governor. He was falsely accused, tried, condemned, even though he was an innocent man. They stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him over and over again with a whip that had ball, metal balls and strips of, of sharp rocks and glass on his back till his back was completely exposed. And history would tell us that many times people whipped with this, this type of whip, their organs would just be all exposed. He was falsely accused, tried, and condemned. They took a crown of thorns in a mocking way and placed it over his head, driving it down on his head. His face was so beaten his, and so bruised that it became so bloody. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied of him that you could not even recognize him as a man. They spit on him. They mocked him. They called him king of the Jews in a mocking way. They forced him, fighting to remain conscious, to try to carry his cross to the point of his execution. And there they drove the nails in his hands and his feet. And then they lifted him up on that cross for all to see, hanging there between heaven and earth. But yet Jesus was in complete control the entire time. Never retaliated, never spoke an evil word against those who were torturing him. He at this point didn't even speak, according to the Gospels. We have no record of it up until this point that we're going to look at here in just a moment. Hanging there on the cross, suffering, not for his sin because he was sinless, but for our sins. He hung there, suffering. And his lips began to move. Now, I would like to think those that were left around the cross probably started to lean in to try to hear what Jesus was going to say. What is this man going to say? Is he going to curse those who are abusing him? Is he going to pray to God for relief from his physical pain? Jesus did nothing like that. Jesus uttered the first of his famous last words when he said this in verse 34 of Luke chapter 23. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Famous last words. And then scripture says that they began to divide up his garments. This prayer of Jesus, the first words uttered on the cross, they have a ton 
a ton of significance for us. And we're going to look at three thoughts of the significance behind just this simple phrase, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Through this prayer, we're going to see that actually Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. You see, 700 years before this event, the prophet Isaiah prophesied one day that this would take place. You, you think about the validity of the Bible, and people want to talk about the Bible being false, full of fairy tales. There are dozens of prophecies like the one that I'm going to read to you that were confirmed. We have confirmed literature prior to this crucifixion that this was written in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, speaking of Jesus he said, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors a criminal on the left and a criminal on the right. Here we have Isaiah around 700 years before prophesying that our Savior would be crucified between two criminals. And while hanging there from the cross, it says making intercession. That means praying. Praying for the ones who are sinning against him. Man. Utterly amazing. The second thought we get from this prayer is that Jesus, he modeled the importance of prayer. Jesus was a person of prayer. In fact, in, in, he taught in Matthew chapter 6, he said, this is how you should pray that famous prayer, our Father who art in heaven. And he went on to give us what we call today the Lord's Prayer. What's significant to me is that Jesus opened his public ministry, how? With a prayer. And now as Jesus was closing his public ministry, how did he close it? With a prayer. He prayed for the most unlikely of people. He prayed for his enemies. Those who were in the moment sinning against him. And this is encouraging to me on a couple of levels because first of all, there are people in my life that I love that I think to myself, man, they are so far away from God, there is no hope for them. They'll never come to relationship with Jesus. They're just so far away, and yet Jesus, in this moment, is praying for those who are far away from God. Praying for them. That's encouraging to me. It models the fact that we should never, ever, ever give up on someone. Knowing that our God and His grace and mercy is far greater than any sin from any individual. Another encouraging thought is, if you fast forward the clock on a, a couple of months later, 
after this event of the crucifixion takes place, Peter preaching on a day that we now call Pentecost. And on that day, 3,000 people, Scripture tells us in Acts, come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, become a follower of him. And we can only imagine that it is very, very likely that some of the people on Pentecost, some of those 3,000 were some of the same ones that were mocking Jesus on his way up to Calvary. And it's very, very likely that those people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior as a result of this prayer. He was praying for them on the cross. At this point in his life, he can no longer heal by the laying of hands. He can no longer travel throughout Israel to continue his ministry because his feet were bound to the cross. He can no longer preach his life-changing message to the crowds because the crowds had abandoned him and they were no longer there. But what could he do? The same thing that every single one of us can do. And that's pray. Pray for those around us. Pray for those that are far away from God. We want to see people change so many times. We say if they would just live their life in a way that honors God, their life would be so much different. But yet we don't take that step to lift their name up to God in prayer. So the first significant thought is that he fulfilled prophecy. The second thing is, is that Jesus modeled the importance of prayer for us. And the third thing we see is that Jesus revealed man's greatest need. He revealed great man's greatest need. To me, it's interesting to note what Jesus didn't pray for. He's not like one of those TV preachers that we see that's always praying, be healed in Jesus' name. You guys have probably seen some of those on some of those TV channels. He was praying what? For forgiveness of sin. That's why he came. Jesus revealed our greatest need. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And to me, this is such a significant thought. This, this, this phrase, for they know not what they are doing, could imply that ignorance does not equal innocence. I'm going to say that again. Ignorance, we can derive from this phrase of Jesus on the cross, does not equal innocence. They didn't know they needed forgiveness, and yet they still did. We have a world of people around us. I'm amazed at the number of people that know, that have never really heard the name of Jesus outside of it being used in vain. They do not know who Jesus is, and it's incumbent upon you and I to share with them because 
ignorance just because they don't know who Jesus is does not equal innocence. They still need forgiveness of sin. You know, you think about Jesus on the cross, the hurt that he is feeling, the betrayal. One of his disciples just hours before has betrayed him. He's feeling hurt. And what do you do when you feel hurt or when you've been wronged? What do you do when there is there's one of the most important relationships that's not where it's supposed to be? How do you respond to life when you're in struggling? Do you do what Jesus did when you've been hurt? Do you pray for your enemy? Do you pray for the one who is hurting you? Jesus gives this, this example. When you've been hurt, our application from this is he teaches us to pray for those who hurt us. That does not come easy for us as believers. Let me just be clear here. We're not praying evil against them. <laughs> All right? Let me just be clear with that this morning. You know, Jesus, Jesus says here in, in Luke chapter 28, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who what? Abuse you. Man. Who was mistreating Jesus? Well, the Roman soldiers were. What did he do? After they just nailed him to a cross with excruciating pain, as they were mocking him, as they were gambling for his clothes, he prayed for them. Now, if you're anything like me, someone's mistreating me, you'll be like, oh yeah, I'll pray for them. I'm going to pray that God will get them. Pray that God will get his justice upon them give them some hemorrhoids god just whatever it is to make their life miserable that's that's the way our nature prays for people that we do not like get them back god and sometimes when people wrong us we often elevate ourselves and we'll say things like oh they're no good and i would never do that Oh, and we even like to take on the victim identity. Oh, I've got a right to be bitter. This victim identity is something that is so permeated into our society. Instead of changing that and looking at it through the eyes of Jesus and praying for those who abuse us. Forgiveness. You know, there was the story one time of a guy that lived out in the woods. And he's out there with his animals. And one day he got bit by a rabid dog. And he could, be, could have been treated by a doctor. But he said, eh, I'll take care of it later. And it's the ways to get into town. But the dog was rabid. And it kept getting worse and worse. He started feeling worse. He finally went to the doctor. And the doctor said, I'm sorry. But it's too late. You've let it go too far. There's nothing more I can do. You're going to, to die. The guy sat there for a moment, you know, had a little emotional breakdown, and as he began to kind of sober up, he asked the doctor for a, a 
pencil and paper, and he began to write down names on that paper. And the doctor was like, you know, are these the, the people that, you know, you want to meet a contact, or are these the people you're leaving your possessions behind? Is this a will? You know, you know what, what is this? And he said, no, these are the people that I hate that I'm going to bite. That is, that is our mindset. We laugh at that silly, silly story. But that is the unforgiveness of our heart. We all have such unforgiving hearts. And what unforgiveness does in our hearts is it makes it harder and harder and harder. You think about the context in which Jesus was raised. Jesus was a Jew. He was born in a system that was known for being under the law. And he came to fulfill the law. But according to the law in, that, in which Jesus was raised, they lived by a pretty fair system. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You plucked theirs out. It was pretty simple. He also lived very near the Roman Greco world where the Romans worshipped a false god that essentially meant revenge. And the Romans were famous for it. If someone wronged the Romans, they were going to take it out on you ten times. That was the world in which Jesus lived. Now notice this. Jesus was born in this environment as an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You know, knew a society of revenge, yet the whole time, this whole time when the world was coming down on him, he was in control. Never did he once speak a word of retaliation. Never once did he act in a way to get them back. Instead, what did he do? The same Thing that God wants us to do to pray for them Father they know not what they do forgive them there are those of you here that have had relationships that have been important to you in the past and but they have been severed for many years Sure, someone probably did something that was wrong to you. They sinned against you. And it may have been egregious, terrible. Sure, they deserve punishment. God will get his justice. But what does God call us to do? He calls us to forgive. That relationship, maybe it's, prior spouse, an ex-spouse, maybe it's a mother or a father or a child. You know, a lot of times when we begin to pray for others, what happens is God can do two things. Is he can change the heart of the other individual, but more importantly, as I pray for that person, he changes my heart. He changes my heart toward that person and allows me to have a forgiving heart. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, pray for those who persecute you who hurt you, who wronged you. Where is there a broken relationship? Pray for them. Pray like Jesus prayed. 
So we see here our first point that we take away from this message today from Jesus, his famous last words, is we're going to pray for those who hurt us. Second thing is we should pray for restoration. He says, Father, forgive them. I want them, he was saying, to be right with you. Pray for healing where there's a broken relationship. You remember Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 12, he, he said, you're worshiping the false god of revenge. He says, don't be revengeful. He said, don't repay evil for evil. Instead, he said, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The reason this is powerful is because it shows me sometimes it may not be possible to live at peace with everyone. I can't control what someone else does. All I can control is what's in my heart. In my heart. All the control I have and all God wants us to do is our part. If it's possible, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. Do what God calls you to do. If there is a broken relationship in your life, God calls us to do our part in seeking that restoration. Colossians 3.13 says, this is how we know we are to forgive and we don't feel like it. It says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. How do I forgive when I don't feel like it? Because most of the time, I don't feel like it. If you're be honest, we're all the same. The Bible tells me to forgive how? As the Lord forgave me. The ugly fact is you could take all of the wrongs that someone has done against you your entire life and you could multiply them by a million and it still would not come close to how we have sinned against God. And yet, he forgives us. So how do we forgive? As the Lord forgave me. Why is this important? Because he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Why is forgiving others so important? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Man, those are some pretty strong words from Jesus. It's almost like he's saying, if you're going to have an unforgiving heart, then why should I forgive you? Wow. We have been called as believers to model forgiveness. When man was at his worst, God's son, in excruciating pain, was at his best. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Famous last words that I hope this week will be imprinted upon your heart. That will convict your heart in all relationships. Jesus is praying for you even though we sin against him every day.
So I ask you today, is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? How can we model Jesus in every relationship? Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please shoot us an email at info at mybethel.cc.